Yes, a victory series it is indeed. And here in Detroit, where so many of the tools of victory were turned out, it's in the air. All Detroit wants another kind of victory today. They're out to see the Detroit Tigers, their favorite ball team, battle the Chicago Cubs in this 42nd World Series. Let's go inside. A crowd of well over 54,000 is on hand to see this colorful opening game of the 1945 Baseball Classic. Briggs Stadium, like Wrigley Field in Chicago, is one of the finest ballparks in the country. It's packed with loyal fans. Over one million strong during the past season, right down to the last day when the pennant was won. It was the bat of Hank Greenberg, recently released from the Army, whose ninth inning home run decided the pennant. The Tigers took the lead on June 12th and held it right up to the close of the season. The Chicago Cubs took the lead on July the 11th and grabbed their flag in a game with the Pirates a day before the season ended. For the Tigers, Hal Neuhauser has been one of the mainstays in the pennant drive, winning 25 while losing only nine. And here's Eddie Mayo, a valuable Tiger player who has won a warm spot in the hearts of Detroit fans. Roy Cullenbine has been right in there too, driving in 92 runs this season, including 18 home runs. And here are some of the Cubs who sparked their pennant drive. Bill Cabaretta, first baseman, led the National League this year, hitting 355. Another Cub 300 hitter, Andy Pasco, led his team in the all-important runs batted in column with 111 to his credit. Stan Hack feels right at home, tuning up for his fourth World Series, all with the Cubs. His dependable hitting is one of the Cubs' trump cards. Well, it won't be long now before this first game gets underway. So let's take a quick look around and see who's here. Fans, there's Walter O. Briggs, owner of the Detroit Tigers, and his son, Spike Briggs, looking pretty enthusiastic about the Tigers' chances. And right over there, well, it just wouldn't be a World Series without him, is the grand old man of baseball, Connie Mack, talking things over with William Herridge, president of the American League. Senator Chandler is on hand for his first series as the new commissioner of baseball. And here are the men who steered these teams to a championship. Steve O'Neill and Charlie Grimm. In 1944, Steve just missed the American League pennant by a single game. But here he is back stronger than ever with one flag tucked away and his eye on the world championship. Charlie Grimm, the likable Cubs manager, piloted his team to a National League pennant as far back as 1932. He's been the Cub manager many years and has never finished in the second division. The two starting pitchers in this important first game Hank Barrowe for the Cubs, and Hal Newhouser for the Tigers. While the pitchers are getting ready, let's have a look at the lineups for today's game. For the Cubs, Stanley Hack, third base. Don Johnson, second base. Peanuts Lowry, left field. Phil Cabaretta, first base. Andy Pasco, center field. Bill Nicholson, right field. Mickey Livingston, catch. Roy Hughes, shortstop. And Hank Barrowe, pitching. For the Tigers, Skeeter Webb, shortstop. Eddie Mayo, second base. Roger Kramer, center field. Hank Greenberg, left field. Roy Cullenbine, right field. Rudy York, first base. Jimmy Outlaw, third base. Paul Richards, catching. And Hal Neuhauser, pitching. And the big moment we've been waiting for is at hand. The managers and umpires talk over the ground rules. The 1945 World Series is on. Play ball, the umpire says, and Stan Hack steps into the batter's box. Now Newhauser is on the mound getting his sign. Here's the pitch, 
and Hatch slashes a grounder to Outlaw at third. He's out at first. Johnson followed with an infield hit back of second base. Then taking a good lead, Johnson breaks for second on the pitch, and he's safe. After Lowry flied to Kramer, Cabaretta beat out a slow roller to Mayo at second. Johnson going to third on the play. Then on a pass ball, Johnson scores and Cabaretta takes second. The Cubs start the fireworks with one run home. Pasco was purposely passed, and big Bill Nicholson steps up to the plate. He swings and lifts a long fly to right center, 370 feet from home plate. Roy Cullenbine backs up near the wall, but the ball gets away from him, and Nicholson comes into third with a triple to his credit. Both Cabaretta and Pasco score, giving the Cubs a 3-0 lead. Mickey Livingston singles sharply to center, scoring Nicholson for the fourth run of the inning, with the World Series barely underway. In the Cubs' third, Johnson lined a double to right center, and after Lowry sacrificed him to third, Cabaretta hit one into center field for a base hit, scoring Johnson with run number five. Andy Pasco followed with a line drive double to left center, scoring Cabaretta. After Nicholson popped to Mayo for the second out, Livingston single to center, scoring Pasco. That put the Cubs in the lead, seven to nothing, and that was all for Newhauser. Al Benton came in to pitch for the Tigers. Livingston was out stealing, ending the inning, and giving the Tigers a breather. Going into the last half of the fifth, Mayo singled sharply to left. Now the crowd is really on its feet, with a Tiger rally finally shaping up. After Kramer was out, Greenberg lined a single to right center. But when Mayo tried for third, he was out on a great throw from Pasco to Hatch, and that killed the Tigers' scoring chances in this inning. The Cubs added two more runs in the seventh to make the score nine to nothing. With two men on in the Tiger ninth, pinch hitter McHale flies to Pasco to end the first game of the 1945 World Series with a one-sided victory for the Chicago Cubs, who hit when they had men on the bases. That was the story of their nine to nothing victory in today's World Series opener. There's another sellout crowd here today, pulling for the Tigers in the second game. The starting pitchers are Henry Wise for the Cubs and Virgil Trucks for the Tigers. And we're all ready to go. Going into the Cub fourth with one out, Phil Cabaretta pumped a double to right center field. After Pasco was retired, Nicholson singled to right center, scoring Cabaretta, and the Cubs lead one to nothing. The Tigers were held scoreless until the fifth inning, when after two outs, Webb rammed a base hit to left field. Mayo walked, and when Kramer singled to left, Webb scored, and Mayo pulled up at third. This tied the count at one apiece. The slugging Hank Greenberg is the next batter and the pitcher Wise eyes him carefully. He gets his signal. Here comes the pitch, and there it goes. A long smash deep into the left center field stands, clearing the high screen 400 feet from the plate for a tremendous home run. Greenberg scores behind Mayo and Kramer. 
putting the Tigers in front, four to one. And here is the finished form of that Greenberg home run swing. There was no further scoring in the ball game, and when pinch batter Heinz Becker struck out in the Cub ninth, the old ball game was in the bag for the Tigers by a score of four to one, leaving the series at one game each. For the final game at Briggs Stadium, Stubby Obermeyer is manager O'Neill's choice for the third game, with Richards as his battery mate. For the Cubs, it's Claude Passaw, a 17-game winner this season. Here are York, Greenberg, and Cullenbein, the power hitters of the Detroit Tigers. Now with the game underway, York lined a single to left in the Tigers' second, but was left stranded on first. It was fairly close game until the fourth inning, when Lowry opened with a double against the left field wall, and the Cubs were on their way again. Cabaretta advanced him to third with a neat sacrifice, and when Pasco walked, Overmeyer and the Tigers were in real trouble. Stubb went to work in earnest, but Big Bill Nicholson poked one over short. And Lowry scored. Pasco stopping at second. After Livingston flied out to Kramer, Hughes followed with a base hit to right, scoring Pasco. And the Cubs lead the Tigers two to nothing. With Benton pitching, the Cubs came to life again in their half of the seventh. Livingston doubled off the right field screen. and Hughes bunted him to third in scoring position. The Cubs pitcher, Claude Passaw, followed with a long fly ball to Kramer in center. Livingston tagging up and scoring after the catch to put the Cubs in front three to nothing. Here in the last half of the ninth, in the Tigers' final stand, Passaw really applied the handcuffs, getting Richards to foul out to Cabaretta. Then, Hostetler batted for Benton and was out, short to first. McHale batting for Webb, popped to Livingston, ending the game and putting the Cubs up on the Tigers two games to one. In one of the most brilliant pitching performances in World Series history, the Cubs' Claude Passaw defeated the Tigers three to nothing before a crowd of 55,500 spectators with a one-hit performance that was equaled only once before in World Series play. Rudy York made the only base hit off the pitching of Passoff. Here is manager Charlie Grimm with his two winning pitchers, feeling pretty good about it all. But before we leave Briggs Stadium, let's look at some of the American League players recently released from the armed forces. Here's the slugging Yankee outfielder, Charlie Keller, back again with the swing that made him famous. Luke Appling, shortstop of the Chicago White Sox. Bob Feller, pitching ace of the Cleveland Indians. A headache for any big league batter. Buddy Lewis of the Washington Senators. Sam Chapman, outfielder of the Philadelphia Athletics. And young Dave Ferris of the Boston Red Sox. A 21-game winner his first year. Recently released from the Army Air Forces. These and many others will be back with us again next year. And now, it's on to Chicago. And now we take you to beautiful Wrigley Field, the home of the Chicago Cubs. Let's go inside and look around. 
The large double-deck seating arrangement affords a fine view of action all over the field here in Chicago. Owner Wrigley is justly proud of this ballpark. In the center field bleachers, an area has been reserved for 200 patients from the Army's Vaughn Hospital in Chicago. A capacity crowd turned out to welcome the Cubs back to Wrigley Field. They're going to see Paul Dizzy Trout of the Tigers start against their Cubs. Trout shows some of his favorite grips on the Spalding National League ball, which, together with the reach official American League ball, have been used in all World Series play. And over here we have Southpaw Roy Prim getting set to go into action for the Cubs. The last-minute conference is on between the managers and umpires about ground rules at Wrigley Field, and we're ready to go. There was no scoring until the Tiger half of the fourth inning, when, after Skeeter Webb had been retired, Mayo drew Prim's only pass. Kramer then lined out the first Tiger hit. Hank Greenberg slashed a single to left, scoring Mayo with the first run of the game. Prim worked carefully now, but Cullenbine whizzed a double just inside the left field foul line, scoring Kramer. Greenberg being held up at third. At this point, manager Grimm removes Prim, replacing him with the veteran right-hander Paul Derringer, with the Tigers leading two to nothing. Derringer now proceeds to give York an intentional pass, loading the bases. Jimmy Outlaw then forced York at second, Greenberg scoring on the play. Catcher Paul Richards singled to center field for his first hit of the series, scoring Cullenbine, and putting the Tigers in front by a score of four to nothing. Don Johnson led off the Cubs sixth with a booming triple to the far right field corner. Lowry grounded to third base, and Johnson apparently was trapped. However, Outlaw threw the first, retiring Lowry. On the return, York's throw got away, Johnson scoring the Cubs' first run. At the end of the sixth, it was Tigers four, Cubs one. With six strikeouts and a five-hit game to his credit going into the ninth, Trout was working in masterful fashion. Cabaretta lined to Kramer in center field for the first out. Pathco was an easy out, third to first. And when Nicholson fouled out to Richards, the catcher, the Detroit Tigers were victors in game number four by a score of four to one. Trout was the winning pitcher and Prim the loser. This evened up the series at two games each. And into the record book goes the story of another well-pitched World Series game. For the fifth game at Wrigley Field, it was Barrowe starting for the Cubs and Hal Newhauser for the Tigers. With the score tied at one run apiece going into the sixth inning, Kramer, first man up for the Tigers, singled to center field. When Tasco fumbled the ball, he put second. Greenberg then lined a double into left field, scoring Kramer. And the Cub bullpen suddenly became an active spot. Cullenbine beat out a hit to Cabaretta, advancing Greenberg to third. And when Rudy York followed with a safe hit to center field, scoring Greenberg, Barrowe was replaced by High Vandenberg, with the Tigers in front of the Cubs, three to one. 
Timmy Outlaw sacrificed both runners along, and Richards was purposely passed, filling the bases. Vandenberg then walked Newhauser, forcing in Columbine, and the bases still remained loaded with Tiger runners. Webb forced Newhauser at second, with York scoring on the play, putting the Tigers ahead by five to one. With Paul Derringer pitching in the seventh, Greenberg hit a looping fly into left, which fell between Murillo and Lowry for a two-base hit. Columbine sacrificed, and Hank was safe at third when Derringer threw too late to Hack. After York flied to Pasco, Outlaw lined deep to center, Greenberg scoring after the catch, and that made it six to one for the Tigers. The Cubs came to life in their half of the seventh and scored two runs, making it six to three. With Kramer on first in the Tiger ninth, Greenberg walloped his third double of the game, Kramer stopping at third. Roy Cullenbine followed with a two-bagger to center, scoring Kramer and Greenberg, with Pasco having a little difficulty locating the ball in the beautiful Wrigley Field landscaping. Ground rules limited this wallop to a two-base hit, and this just about wrapped up the game for the Tigers at 8-3. to three. In the last half of the ninth, Phil Cavaretta looped the fly ball into right center between Kramer and Cullenbine for a double, as the Tiger outfielders seemed to get their signals crossed. Newhauser bore down, getting Pasco for his ninth strikeout victim of the game. But Phil Nicholson wrapped out a single, scoring Cabaretta, and the Cubs were still in a fighting mood. After Livingston flied to Cullenbine, Schuster popped to catcher Richards, and the game was Tiger victory number three against two for the Cubs, with Hal Newhauser the winner over Hank Barrowe, the score being Detroit eight, Chicago four. Wrigley Field, Virgil Trucks and Claude Passau are back, gunning for their second victory in the series, with another capacity crowd on hand. With the Tigers ahead one to nothing, Pasco singled through the box in the Cubs' half of the second. After Nicholson fouled out, Livingston forced Pasco at second, and when Webb threw wild to first, Livingston tried to take second but was tagged out, Richards to Webb. Don't get angry, boys. In the fifth inning for the Cubs, after Livingston started with a single to center field, Hughes beat out a bunt when York slipped in fielding the ball. Passaw then hit a bounder to Trucks, and all runners were safe when the throw to third pulled Outlaw off the bag. Hack came through again with a single to center, scoring Livingston and Hughes. And when Richards missed Kramer's throw to the plate, Passo went to third base and hacked to second. After Johnson was out and Lowry walked, filling the bases, the dependable Cabaretta lined to hit the center, scoring Passo and Hack, putting the Cubs in front, four to one. Here's the Tiger seven, with the Cubs now in front, five to one. Hostetler batting for Webb was safe on Hack's fumble. Mayo was an easy out, but Kramer singled to left. and Stettler stumbled after rounding third base and was out trying to score Lowry to Livingston to use. Greenberg walked. Then Cullinan singled to center, scoring Kramer.
Manager Charlie Grimm decides to replace Passau at this point with another right-hander, Henry Wise. But York greets him with a base hit to left field, scoring Greenberg. This made the score Cubs 5, Tigers 3. The Cubs came back with two in the seventh, making the score 7-3. to three. The Tigers were still in there battling in the eighth. With catcher Swift on base, pinch hitter Walker doubled over first, sending Swift to third. Hack fumbled Hoover's grounder, and Swift scored. After Mayo singled the center, scoring Walker, another change of pitchers took place for the Cubs, as Prim replaced Wise. Lowry made a shoestring catch of Kramer's looping fly, but Hoover scored after the catch. And here's Hank Greenberg on the spot again. Prim looks him over carefully with the count three and two. Greenberg connects with a long drive that clears the left field railing into the crowd for a home run, tying the score seven to seven. It was Hank's second important home run blow of the series to put the Tigers back into the ball game. Both teams battled on into extra innings with good pitching from Trout, who went to the mound for Detroit in the eighth, and Barrowie, who started the ninth for Chicago. In the 11th, Mayo stopped a Cub threat with a nice catch of Pafco's Texas leaguer in the short right field. In the last of the 12th, Sicori batted for Murillo and singled to center. Schuster was sent in to run for Sicori, and Trout was still going strong, setting Barrowie down on strikes. Stan Hack looks over and selects one of his favorite Louisville slugger models that has made him a threat at bat in the National League for years. Hack then lines a double into left field. Greenberg comes running in to cut down the hit. The ball takes a bad hop over his left shoulder, which enables Schuster to score all the way from first base with the winning run of the ball game. In 12 innings, the Cubs are victors over the Tigers, 8-7. Hank Barrowe was the winning pitcher with his second victory of the series and Trout the loser. Well, here we are at the seventh and deciding game, the crucial one in this first World Series after victory. Even the band here at Wrigley Field has caught the spirit of this game. Just look at those drum majorettes. Now over here we see Barroi, anchorman of the Cubs, warming up. He'd like to make it three pitching victories over the Tigers and the clinching game at that. Hal Newhauser, the ace left-hander, has his own ideas about that. And we'll know the answer very shortly. The Tigers were not to be denied as Webb opened the game with a base hit. His teammate Mayo followed with a safe hit to right, sending Webb to third. Kramer loops a safe one into left field, scoring the first Tiger run. And here comes Charlie Grimm to remove Barrowie from the ball game and replace him with Derringer, with one run home and Tigers on first and second. Greenberg crossed up the Cubs by advancing both runners on a sacrifice bunt, Cavaretta handling the play unassisted. Cullenbein was intentionally passed, filling the bases. After York popped to hack, it looked like the trouble was over, but Derringer walked outlaw, forcing in Mayo. Catcher Paul Richards brought up to healthy double to left field, scoring Kramer, Cullenbein, and Outlaw, giving the Tigers five big runs in the first inning of the final World Series game.
Newhauser was really bearing down in the fifth with a 6-2 lead as both Hughes and Sauer were strikeout victims. In the Tigers' seventh, with Erickson pitching, Cullenbine on first and two out, Richards doubled to right center, scoring Cullenbine and driving in his fourth run of the game. Score the Tigers' seven, the Cubs' two. The Tigers added two more to their total in the eighth with Passaw pitching, making it nine to two. And here we are in the ninth and final inning of the last World Series game of 1945. Hughes singles off Newhauser. McCullough came to bat for the pitcher, Wise, but he became Newhauser's 10th strikeout victim of the game. Hack flied to Kramer in center field for the second out. And when Don Johnson forced Hughes at second, the Detroit Tigers became the 1945 champions of the baseball world. After losing his opening assignment, Newhauser captured his second victory of the series, a highly important one. The Tigers had the batting punch and pitching strength to win. The capacity crowds lifted the total attendance at all World Series play to more than 8 million. No wonder baseball is called our national game. And all other sports help to keep America fit, help keep American youth fit to play in the bigger game of life the world over. <laughs>